This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Stephen, and welcome to the New Statesman election special Helen is missing in action, but I've recruited a whole team of correspondents who've gone round the country, talked to various people, found out what's going on, and I'm putting them all together in an exciting journey throughout the whole of the United Kingdom, including Northern Ireland. Um, so yeah, let's saddle up and get ready to ride. Joining me on this exciting adventure, Patrick Maguire has been to Belfast South. Um, Anoush has travelled all round the country, uh, from everywhere as far afield as St Ives to Sheffield Hallam to Derby North, the most marginal seat in England. Uh, George has visited Birmingham Edge Baston, that iconic marginal that summed up the 1997 election in many ways. Caroline has been to the constituency of Dover. Julia has been down the road to Vauxhall, where Kate Hoey may face a Brexit rebellion. And uh, John, who's been following all of the Metro Mayor and local elections uh, over at City Metric, will give us an idea of how he thinks that will play into the general election. And I uh, have been to Bath, uh, Gower and a variety of other Welsh seats, and I'll be peppering my insights from those trips throughout uh, the whole of our, our little travelogue. And for our first constituency, uh, it's not actually on mainland Britain at all. I'm joined by notorious PMG, our Anthony Howard scholar Patrick Maguire, who has been uh, in Northern Ireland, where they're to its most marginal constituency, Belfast... South. South. Embarrassingly, listeners, this is actually the second take, and I still couldn't remember which Belfast constituency it was. A three-way marginal, um, in which sort of all but one of, of, of Northern Ireland's uh, four major parties could win. What were your impressions of it? Well, it's a very interesting constituency, Stephen. Like you say, it is a three-way marginal. Alistair MacDonald, the SDLP incumbent, won uh, with the lowest share of the vote in any first-past-the-post seat in, in the... Out of the 650, you got something like 24, 25% of the vote uh, last time. And I think he has a better chance of holding on than a lot of people are giving him credit for. He's got a 906 vote majority. Sinn Féin finished first in the Assembly elections in that constituency in 2017, this year, which means that his vote is getting eaten from every direction, or so you would think. But there is a real fear that the DUP will sneak in, and given it's a very cosmopolitan uh, middle class is often lampoon as sort of the Islington uh, of Belfast. 
then there's a real anxiety that they'll be represented by the DUP, and I think that people will swing round to McDonnell. But McDonnell the man is sort of a semi-unpopular figure who is somewhat unfairly chided as a social conservative. So it's a very interesting dynamic. The Alliance, who uh, refused to stand down uh, to form a sort of anti-Brexit pact against the DUP, are sort of playing the ball, uh, sorry, the man and not the ball. It's a very sort of personal fiery campaign against McDonald, but I reckon he might just hold on. Why is he unpopular? Why is he unpopular? Uh, that's a very good question. Well, to say he's unpopular is probably unrepresentative of that constituency. He divides opinion. He has a very, very loyal core vote. Uh, he's very popular among the nationalist community. He's a very diligent, hard-working local MP. But there is a sense in some quarters in the constituency in the sort of post-sectarian community there um, that he is sort of out of touch and is a bit of a throwback, not in terms of his, his nationalism, which is a very consensual nationalism, as is the case of the SDLP, but more because of his... Uh, the perception that he is somehow uh, a social conservative, which, you know, by the standards of, of mainland Britain, perhaps he is on issues like a woman's right to choose. So we'll see. Um, what does it suggest for the wider battle uh, across Northern Ireland? To a certain extent, it's very difficult to read into the rest of Northern Ireland from South Belfast because it's the only assembly constituency that's represented by five MLAs from five different parties. But it does, it will give us an indication of just how spooked the, the unionist vote is from the uh, the brush with sort of death, well, not death, but the, the existential shock they got in the assembly elections when uh, unionist parties lost their overall majority. You know, will the UUP vote, which is not uh, insignificant in South Belfast, swing behind the DUP? Uh, it'd be very intriguing to see what happens to the UKIP vote in Northern Ireland, which in most constituencies isn't irrelevant, but in this constituency they won 2,000 votes. Will it disappear? Will it swing back behind the DUP? Uh, and also, what is how healthy is the SDLP's core vote? Will you know if they lose this seat, then they'll almost certainly have lost South Down. Um, it'd be very interesting to see whether Sinn Fein voters are still willing to vote tactically for the SDLP in seats like this. Uh, the Sinn Fein, for instance, are running a very energetic campaign in South Belfast, even though they have no chance of winning. You know, it'd be very interesting to see just how healthy the votes for moderate nationalist and unionist parties are. So could the SDLP go extinct at this election? Uh, I, I would caution anyone saying that. Mark Durgan is you know, very popular, has a very healthy majority in foil. Margaret Ritchie is facing a big challenge from Sinn Féin. She might hold on. I'd say... Perversely, Richie, who has a much bigger majority than Alistair McDonnell, is probably more likely to lose her seat. In a, way, in a weird way, South Belfast being hyper-marginal really does help McDonnell in that it's been characterised already in, in South Belfast as a straight fight between McDonnell and Emma Little Pangeli, who is a very divisive uh, former MLA for the area who lost her seat in March. Which, perversely, I, I think that actually means that McDonnell has a better chance of hanging on if the sort of progressive voters swing behind him, which is sort of no guarantee, given how hard the alliance are going on his record on social issues. But we'll see. Well, we'll see indeed. Thanks for talking to us. And now I'm joined by Anusha Killian, our senior writer, who has been traversing basically the whole country, um, Derby North, Sheffield, Hallam, 
And St. Ives. And St. Ives, yeah. So far. Um, so each seat has a slightly different story. Shall I start with Derby North? Yep. Uh, that's the most marginal seat in England. The Tories hold it by 41 votes only. Um, and it used to be the seat of Chris Williamson, a Labour, a former Labour MP, and he's running for the seat again. And what's most interesting about this story, or at least most... Um, most compelling is that he's a very, very pro-Corbyn candidate. And so on the doorstep, when voters, and many of them did, express concerns about Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, he would counter them not with a sort of apologetic, well, vote for me instead of the leader, but with a, well, here's why I'm a fan of Jeremy Corbyn and here's my list of reasons why. So it was a very bold Corbynite pitch to voters that um, are not only floating voters, but actually voted Labour out last time. So probably feel even more uh, apprehensive about voting Labour this time. Do it feel like a battleground seat there? Because the thing I found weird when I was in in Gower is that yeah, so the smallest majority in the whole of Britain, uh, it's twenty seven votes, and yet people see you'd expect three weeks out in a marginal that close for them to have been bombarded with leaflets going every vote counts, etc., etc., squeezing of the small parties. People had barely been campaigning. There was no kind of election momentum, small m, in, in, in the seat. From your write-up of, of the visit to Derby North, it seems it was very different, was it? Or- it was very different there, yeah. You, any voter that I spoke to, even those who said, I'm not interested in politics at all, knew that they'd got this Tory MP a couple of years ago and that that was unusual in this seat and that that something different could happen this time, depending on their vote. So there was a very much a high awareness of the fact that they were in a marginal. But unfortunately for Labour, that didn't really translate into, and this time I'm going to make sure that a Tory doesn't win again. Rather than saying that they were going to vote Tory this time round, there was a lot of, I don't know who I'm going to vote for. I don't like that Chris Williamson is running again, because what has he done for us? And there was a lot of... Um, uh, umming and ahhing about Jeremy Corbyn as leader. Um, most of the policies that he explained to them and actually very very enthusiastically and articulately explained to them on the doorstep, they were keen on. So they really liked um, the uh, higher minimum wage in particular. Um, but all they kept saying was, how's he going to do it? Where's, where's the money going to come from? He's not going to have power. It's impossible. So there was a lot of cynicism. Um, you visited uh, Derby North right at the start of the election campaign. Um, you... I want to talk to you about St Ives specifically, but you visited St Ives yesterday. We've had the uh, the, the manifestos come out. We've had Theresa May stumbling over social care. Um, do you think uh, that any of that will have moved voters in, in, in Derby? I think it may have done, actually, because what, what I discovered in seats that I've visited since Theresa May's blunders and also the release of her policies um, is that every single household, whether they're pensioners or not, have mentioned this uh, social care plan and the and the winter fuel allowance uh, being mean, means tested in a negative way. Um, in Sheffield, Hallam, where uh, I was going around with Nick Clegg, lots of people mentioned this and said that it was the reason why they wouldn't be voting Tory again or they would be voting Lib Dem. And in St Ives, it was quite similar. Um, Derby North has a different politics, but I think it probably would have put voters off voting, if you see what I mean, rather than sort of... Yeah, so kind of a shifting later. from, oh, I'm this one seems OK to... Um, exactly. Sheffield, Hallam... Um, you know, with liberal dreamboat Nick Clegg. Um, <laughs> um, what's, yeah, he came quite close to losing it uh, last time. 
Uh, how's it feeling for him there? Well, he... So last time that was a very high-profile campaign because he was still Lib Dem leader and the Labour Party was running a sort of decapitation strategy in Sheffield Hallam. And they did reduce... Well, his majority was reduced quite greatly from 15,000 and something to 2,000 and something. Um, this time round, I do think from talking to activists who we went out door knocking with to voters and also to him, I think they are much more confident. I think last time there were all these polls coming out... Uh, of the, of the actual seat itself saying that Labour were going to unseat him. And although he says he never believed that was going to happen, I, I, there were just a lot of jitters in Sheffield last time that I didn't feel were there this time. Okay. He might not have believed it was going to happen. I mean, I'm, I'll take that with a pinch of salt, but yeah, exactly, definitely, yeah. as we both know, many of his staff did fear exactly, that he would... Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and this time around, they have more confidence because they feel that Jeremy Corbyn has dented Labour support in the seat. So we've got to remember that this seat isn't actually the city of Sheffield. It's a residential, quite affluent seat to the west of the city um, where there are a lot of Lib Dem voters and any voters who might have been tempted to vote Labour are put off by by the leadership and also by uh, Labour's sort of equivocation over Brexit. Um, And this will kind of get us onto sort of the the final seat. Um, Have people forgiven him? Because in some ways their calculation is by being the the vocally anti-Brexit party that will drain the poison from their disappointments in coalition. Is that working for him in Sheffield Hallam? Well, this is something that I wasn't even going to focus on when I went there, but it became the theme of the day. A lot of people I spoke to were saying, well, you know, he, he went into coalition, he broke some promises, but we think he's been punished enough. There was that kind of attitude. And actually, he voiced that himself. He said... You know, I kind of felt like I was a bit of a cartoon caricature last time, but the people are listening far more to what I have to say now. And of course, Sheffield area was quite a strong Remain vote. So I think his championing of... uh, Europe so his, has his bit, obviously, the city. Yeah, the sorry, region, sorry, that, yeah, the region, the region um, was strongly remained. So I think his shameless sort of pro-European message is working there to sort of erase his past sins. All right. Uh, on the subject of past sins, uh, where you went to St Ives, where you, I assume, if you had met a man with seven wives, it would have been in the write-up. But um, uh, there, the Lib Dem revival doesn't perhaps seem to be showing up. No, so Cornwall used to be used used to have a lot of Lib Dem MPs, including in St Ives, and then the Conservatives won them all last time. And it doesn't look like that's going to change this time round, even in St Ives, where the local Lib Dem MP since, uh, I think since 97, had been Andrew George, who's a very well-known local figure. He said that he thought it would be quite unlikely that he was going to win again. He's running again, um, that he was going to beat the Tories. Um, The reason for this, partly voiced to me by Andrew George, was that the Lib Dems' campaign message is not helping them at all there. The idea of a second referendum isn't really a big sell to Cornish voters who voted roundly to to leave the European Union. Um, So I think, and also because Labour are running quite a hard campaign there and lots of people are enthusiastic about voting Labour. I spoke to a lot of people who said that they'd be voting Labour this time round. That's taking a chunk out of the Lib Dem vote as well. I want to talk to you about that. So I was in Bath and it it felt weirdly to me that Labour... um, uh, yeah, in, in Gower, and when I, I thought I'd knock on some doors briefly in, in, in Newport while I was waiting for my connection, just to get an idea of the mood, it, Labour, it felt to me, were doing worse in areas you'd expect them to do well, but they seemed to be gaining and, and sort of picking up enthusiasm in these classic liberal, conservative 
battleground so it felt case in bar you were saying to me there were a lot of yeah yeah it felt exactly the same in St Ives and that's quite weird because they're both these Lib Dem Tory marginals where Tories are holding the seat I think my theory is that and this is actually was voiced to me quite by a few people they fed up with voting tactically so someone said oh you're always told vote liberal down here because to just to keep the Tories out I'm fed up with doing that so I think maybe the Brexit vote delivering what they wanted sort of demonstrated to them that if I vote, it actually counts and I can get the result that I want. So why would I vote how anyone else tells me to or in a tactical way? It's almost like a gateway to, to voting uh, to voting truthfully rather than tactically. Yes, I think the, the big sort of unanswered question of this election um, is whether or not we will have a referendum boost in turnout. There was after the Scottish referendum in the snap election in Northern Ireland, there was a record turnout there. A lot of young people have registered, but we don't know if they will uh, vote from what you've described, do you think m- there will be more people voting in this election than there have perhaps been in the past? I don't think there will be. Uh, first of all, because I've had a lot of people saying, oh, I might not vote this time round, whether or not they like whichever party they would usually support. I think because they think that Jeremy Corbyn's unlikely to achieve the policies that he's that he's uh, announced, um, but also because they're they're so fed up with doing with voting so much and haven't seen that much change in the areas that they live in. I found that when I went to Stoke-on-Trent and uh, Copeland in the by-elections that came just after all this flurry of elections as well. Why don't they feel he's likely to achieve it? Is it because they don't think he'll win or is it because they don't think he can do it or what's, what's the... Well, when you, when you ask them, it's different reasons. So I, I actually think the main reason is not that they think that he can't prime minister, be prime minister. I think the main reason is that they think that he, as a leader, is not sort of competent, competent enough to make these things happen, or that they're, they're such wonderful sounding policies that there must be a catch and that, that all pol- politicians go back on their promises in the end, etc. So actually, the reason isn't he's not going to get into power. The reason is more, I think, the unlikelihood of the policies being achievable. And now I'm joined by our political editor, George Eaton, who visited Birmingham Edgbaston, famously uh, one of Labour's earliest gains in 1997, uh, indicated that the polls were correct and they were on course for a big majority, held against the tide in 2010 and 2015. Gisela Stewart, uh, very popular locally, is standing down, which makes it right at the frontier of the Labour-Tory battle. Um, How was it? So <clears throat> I met the Labour candidate, Preet Gill, who hopes to become the first female Sikh MP, um, born and raised in the constituency, a former social worker, independent-minded, as you would have to be following Gisela. She backed to remain in the EU referendum, which is the main difference. But when I asked her whether Jeremy Corbyn was proving a problem on, on the doorstep, as, as, as many Labour candidates say, she didn't... Um, she didn't dismiss that. She didn't deny that. She said, look, it's my name on the ballot paper. It's not Jeremy's. It's not Theresa May. You know, votes uh, pre-Gill. And there were some signs of encouragement for Labour uh, among the races I spoke to. The tuition fees policy has clearly cut through there. Uh, you, the University of Birmingham lies within the constituency, so there, there are lots of students. But others I spoke to, including some who voted for Remain, were voting for the Conservatives, either again or, or for the first time, because they see Theresa May as the the best person to get the best deal in the negotiations. Yeah, I, I think for a lot of, uh, of, of our listeners, and I think in general, one of the interesting 
groups of people in this election are Remainers for May. Why? What? 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 what what's? What's their thing? So, most of those who voted Remain take quite a, a British view of it, I suppose, about it, which is that look, the the, the match was had. Uh, the other side won. Uh, let's all get together and try and get uh, try and get the best deal. And Theresa May has, in general, quite skillfully presented herself as a as a politician above party interests, uh, who's treating just framing this general election almost as a a de facto second referendum, which is designed to give her the the strongest hand in in the negotiations. And a word that came up when I mentioned Jeremy Corbyn to a lot of people was weak, was soft. And interestingly, some of them even said, I know the media is biased against him. I know that they're trying to create a negative impression, but that's the impression I've been given. And it's impossible for me not to be influenced by that now. In terms of sort of national issues, was there anything which was kind of cutting through, to use that word that we use all mm. the time and should stop using? So other than tuition fees, as I mentioned, there were pensioners who expressed anxiety about uh, social care. This was, of course, before the, the U-turn, and that clearly was something which was causing the trouble, trouble for the Conservatives in, in, in seats across the country. I mean, one told me uh, that it went down like a cup of cold sick in Twickenham, where uh, the Tories are attempting to hold off Vince Cable. Others are worried about the means testing of winter fuel payments. Theresa May has not said how many pensioners would be affected by that, but it's fairly clear that it will be... Um, the majority, uh, but Brexit probably was the the supreme issue there, and and leadership as well. Uh, the Conservative candidate, interestingly, is uh, Caroline Squire, who is the great great granddaughter of Liberal Birmingham Mayor Joseph Chamberlain and the great great niece of of Neville Chamberlain, which uh, she likes to mention uh, less often. Um, I didn't get a chance to to interview her, but for the Conservatives, this seat is. A crucial one in that Theresa May's whole brand of conservatism, taking a more interventionist approach than than David Cameron, is aimed at winning seats across the West Midlands. Uh, her influential co-chief of staff, Nick Timothy, coined the phrase Erding, Erdington conservatism to describe the form of modernization he hopes for using. Erdington is the, the neighbouring seat to Edgbaston. And uh, will it work, do you think, in Birmingham? I think it will. I think... Labour have got a good candidate there. Um, I think in in normal circumstances, she, she would have won in, in, in 2010, 2015, I think. But Labour have never faced um, a challenge as great as this one. And <clears throat> I think Labour have a majority of just under 3,000 there. If you look at the, the national polls, and obviously um, who knows how the the attack and the and the and the pause in campaigning will will affect uh, support it's a seat that the Tories will win will win quite easily cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com And now to see how things are going on the White Cliffs of Dover. Caroline Crampton has been to Dover. 
a marginal constituency that has backed the winner, not quite at every election. Um, it's kind of one of those ones which goes Labour in sort of wave years, 66, 97. Yeah. But not, I think, 1945? I don't think so, no. Um, but yes, what were your impressions of the White Cliffs? So, well, the, white, the day I went, the White Cliffs were looking lovely. It was very sunny. Uh, you could see all the way to France, which is something that locals like to point out to you. Um, but... Out on the doorstep in the area of Dover that I spent most of my time in, which is called the Buckland Estate, which is sort of up on the hills behind the town itself, traditionally a very Labour voting area, lots of social housing. I found a lot of people who are not voting at all or who are voting for UKIP or who have voted UKIP and are now going to vote Conservative. There were very few people I spoke to who went, yep, I've always voted Labour and I'm now voting Labour again. Um. What, what, what reasons did people give firstly for not voting at all? The, the, your standard apathy reasons of, oh, they're all the same, or it just doesn't feel like it'll make any difference to me, or uh, the amazing guy who... Because I, I was mostly in this area with the Conservative candidate who's the incumbent MP, Charlie Elphick, who's got a majority of just under 8,000. Uh, and one particular guy that we spoke to had never heard of Jeremy Corbyn. He said he'd voted Labour in the past, but he'd never heard of Jeremy Corbyn when we asked him. So uh, I think he's just maybe dropped off the political information and therefore is not voting at all. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, so the, I think the interesting uh, thing you bring up really is, of course, is that UKIP as, as gateway drug uh, yes, tendency. very much so. Because I've really noticed it when I've been out and about in the country, people who voted... Lib Dem, in, well, I think the Lib Dem one I understand most because that Lib Dem UKIP vote is, I think, actually just a I don't want to vote for the government vote. I have encountered some people who've done that journey who are now uh, voting for Labour or the Greens, um, which, again, sort of makes sense for you in that way. Mm -hmm. But the weird one to me is the kind of Labour, hardcore Labour, UKIP, Conservative journey. What do you think is driving that in, in Dover? In Dover, it's Brexit. So the particular area I was in was a, I mean, I think, I don't think I spoke to anybody who voted Remain. Everybody voted Leave, no matter what their political affiliation had been in the past. So they are the Labour Brexiteers, or were. And because of where Dover is geographically, it's got a big port, a lot of ferries, it's near the Channel Tunnel entrance. They feel like they're on the front line of immigration and border control and that kind of stuff. You know, when when there are problems on the French side, it's in Dover that the lorries get backed up and they feel like if Brexit isn't handled properly, their local economy is going to completely collapse. So, yeah, everyone I spoke to who said I had voted Labour, I voted Leave, I voted UKIP maybe in 2015, is voting for Theresa May because they think she can handle Brexit. Um, so you visited uh, after the um, social care implosion. Yes. In, in, in Gower, uh, that was, I mean, there were not a great number of political job conversations I, I had there. It was a weirdly sort of flaccid uh, mood. But um, the, the one thing people did bring up was the social care um, element. Did that come up? A it did. It came up a lot. Um, it came up with people who... Probably if they'd been door knocked last week would have been strong conservatives who are now probably waverers because they were saying things like, 
I don't want to lose my home. I want to be able to pass it on to my kids. You know, oftentimes misunderstanding the policy, which is the fault of the Conservatives for not communicating what they're going to do properly. Also, some of the activists I saw on the doorstep were not very well briefed on how they didn't have good talking points to come back to people's criticisms. But also Dover is an interesting flashpoint for that because although a lot of the people... I spoke to who were the other thing that came up a lot was the winter fuel allowance being means tested. I'm pretty sure, although they haven't announced what the threshold's going to be, everyone I spoke to will be well under it. They won't have their winter fuel allowance taken away. They think they might, and that's concerning. But although they're kind of cash poor, you might say, they are property rich in that property prices in Dover are pretty buoyant. So I spoke to one woman who said, you know, our house, you can see, there's not much of it here, it's not particularly wanted, but it's worth 120 grand. I don't, and I was banking on being able to pass that on to my daughter. And I'm not sure that I can now under the Conservative social care plans. Yeah, it is, um, it does feel to me, anecdotally at least, that the th- one of the things they've messed up quite badly in this campaign, although it obviously may not uh, matter, um, you know, for various reasons, but is that people who were kind of unhappy with the Labour Party or worried about Brexit who don't usually vote Conservative or kind of go, oh, I'll dip my toes mm. in the, the water of, of this this woman who doesn't seem like a usual Tory uh, to a lot of people. And then with the, the fox hunting and the, the various, the, the weird golden thread of animal cruelty in the manifesto <laughs> and the social care stuff, it's like for those people, they've gone, oh, no, you're, you're actually Tories. It does kind of, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think there's there's something of that. But just from what I sort of saw and heard there, my concern is that that effect isn't going to translate in people going back to Labour. It's going to translate into them not voting at all. Yeah, I think that thing kind of feels that feels about right to me. But yeah, we'll see how others impression. Our news editor Julia Rampen, uh, we we didn't uh, force her to get on a train to deepest, darkest Somerset or wherever, we sent her to Vauxhall, where Kate Hoey, the Labour incumbent, uh, one of Labour's very few Brexit-backing MPs, is facing a challenge from the Liberal Democrats in a seat which voted very heavily to remain. Um, What were your impressions of it? So I was really interested in the seat because I'd heard rumblings that people were trying to get rid of Kate Hoey before I'd even met the Lib Dem candidate. But when I got there, I found that everything looks at the surface like it's going to be a victory for the Remainers. It's a very uh, cosmopolitan place. It's full of um, EU citizens working in the cafes. I went for a coffee with George Turner and he realised he didn't even have any money. He only had euros. But when you dig beneath the surface, you find actually there is a really loyal Labour um, constituency there. And I actually don't think they're going to give up Kate that easily. Yeah, I mean, I think people do kind of underestimate how hard she's worked and actually the the kind of I think the voxel in a lot of the media portrayals is this kind of very small gentrified corner of it and doesn't really represent most of the constituency why do you think she's gonna gonna hold on is it because people feel the referendum is settled yeah what's the I think it is that thing that people say the referendum doesn't come up on the doorstep quite as much as you might think if you're in a certain bubble of remainers and it's true when I went around with Kate The Brexit didn't come up. She only brought it up, really, because I was there with a notepad. And so it was the last thing in every conversation after the NHS, after the local bus station and whether pigeons are pooing on your head or not. And after things like jobs and immigration questions that are not to do with EU citizens, finally it would come up and they'd say, oh, well, you know, 
I actually think my wages were going down or one person did say I did vote Remain and I think it's going, the country's going to the dogs now. But he also said, well, it's over now, isn't it? It's settled. So we better make the best of it. In terms of the other parties, I mean, I think it doesn't look to anyone as if the Lib Dems are going to get a particular dividend from their Brexit strategy. But it's notionally a Lib Lab uh, battleground. Did you get any sense of how the other parties, uh, how do you think they'll do elsewhere from... It's a good question because actually, although I have presented it as a Lib Lab battleground, the Conservatives actually came second last time. And I didn't really encounter any areas that were particularly conservative, but I did ask about it. And it includes some very leafy parts of London where you have, in fact, incredibly wealthy people, homeowners, who perhaps will continue to vote conservative. I mean, again, this goes back to what I think you've talked about, Stephen, about the people who were liberal Tories but are going to stick with the Conservative Party. So the Conservative vote might hold up better than expected. Cool. Well, we'll uh, we'll wait and see on the 8th of June. And now we're joined by house builder and city fancier, our city metric editor, John Ellidge. Hello. You're very pleased with yourself for pronouncing my name correctly that time, I aren't was, you? I was looking at you nervously to see if I'd got, got it right. Um... Right, we'll so start calling you Stephen Bush. Anyway. You you've covered uh, the metro mayoralties in you know more detail, I think, than any human alive. Um, obviously, local elections aren't a perfect guide to the future. However, uh, this sort of Matt Singh model, with which he you know his kind of regression analysis, with which he picked up, uh, you know, he, he he predicted the 2015 election, um, and he has done a, a repeat of that forecast for the 2017 uh, contest. Uh, suggests they are indicative. As someone who, who's covered them in great detail, what do you feel you learned from from doing them about this election we're now in? I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be... I, I don't think I'm going to say anything that massively surprises anybody, but my sense is that Labour is in quite a lot of trouble in large chunks of the country. I think the North West is a, is, is a partial exception to that. Obviously, in Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham actually overperformed a generic candidate. But in the Liverpool City region, Steve Rotherham uh, landed pretty much exactly where you'd expect a, a, a Labour candidate to be, and that was in Liverpool. So that, and that if that's and that that's the high point. Like beyond that, they were kind of uh, doing like any any election they could lose, they lost. Like the the shocker was the Tees Valley, which is sort of the Middlesbrough, Hartlepool, Darlington area which is an area, you, you think of those places, you do instinctively think, oh, this is probably Labour heartland. But when push came to shove, that area elected a, a, a Tory mayor, which suggests to me that maybe Labour is in some trouble in the northeast. The The other lesson of those elections, I think, was that there is no Lib Dem surge. The Lib Dem surge is not happening. Um, that paradoxically looks like it might have actually helped Labour in a few places. So I think Labour came closer to winning the, the West of England mayoralty than, than anyone had given them credit for, where we very much expected it to be a, a, a Lib Dem Tory fight. Uh, but nonetheless, it's not kind of rebounded to the benefit of Labour enough for Labour to actually win. Do you think, though... With the Lib Dems, some people will say, oh, they did worse because it was a personality contest and they got... And Lib Dems don't really have any personality, that's true. I think they were going to go for the classic uh, two-party squeeze, but yours works as well, I guess. Um, Do you buy that? 
I mean, it should be an electoral system. Uh, the, the mayoralties are conducted under the supplementary vote, which should be an electoral system that helps the Lib Dems. Historically, that system's been very good at electing independents. It's allowed candidates to kind of play the I'm not like the normal politicians card and kind of come up from the middle. So uh, London's first mayor, I think it was Ken Livingstone, who was, it's kind of forgotten now, but his first term, he was elected as an independent. Uh, in Hartlepool, uh, Hartlepool actually elected an independent dressed as a monkey, uh, who then uh, ran the city for three terms quite seriously and was re-elected under his own name. And and also, um, Bristol gutted. had an independent mayor as well. I mean, it was a fake Lib Dem, but he was nonetheless... What was his name? George Ferguson. George Ferguson. I'm really gutted. I, I knew that the, that the monkey actually ran Hartlepool fairly well and was re-elected, but he, I... I had always assumed that he like donned his monkey garb to run for re-election, kind like, of like, like sort of the 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 the, the, uh, the garments of office. Yeah, yeah. I like, didn't realise that the second and third time he was just like, yeah, I'm just a man now. I mean, I don't. I should look into this story in more detail. But my understanding is uh, he never expected to win. I think he sort of ran as a novelty candidate and then found himself mayor. And, and ran Hartlepool for 10 years. So, you know, funny how things turn out. Um, but yeah, going back to the the Lib Dems, my. It just felt like they were nowhere. Like, they really should have been... They were polling it to the 6 or 7% in a lot of these regions. They were absolutely nowhere in the northwest, And it, it, there was just kind of no comeback at all. The only one they even got close to was uh, Cambridgeshire and Peterborough. where, the, But even there, like, in the runoff, that came out to, like, 56-44 in the, in the Tories' favour. And that's not, that's not a close contest. No. Um... The kind of final question, as you know, the person who this is with, how alarmed should we be by the kind of series of measures in the Tory manifesto that, to my eyes at least, seem to skew the electoral... So the, the abolition of the supplementary vote, the getting rid of the additional member system for electing people to City Hall in London? I don't think it's great. I mean, you've, we, we sort of did a bit of digging between us on this one. Um, which is my way of saying you actually ran the numbers and then I wrote about them as if I'd done the legwork. Uh, and my impression was actually it probably doesn't hurt Labour as much as one would think. But what it does, it kind of takes us back to a two-party system in which it's Labour or the Tories in a lot more contests. So that obviously squeezes out the Lib Dems in a lot of places. It probably means no more Greens sat in City Hall in, in London. And I don't think that's great for democratic debate or accountability. I don't think it's as sinister as, like, the Tories are kind of clamping down and introducing a one-party state, but they're definitely a sort of co-beneficiary of this one. Cool. Speak soon. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Stephen Bush, ably assisted by Patrick Maguire, our Anthony Howard scholar, Caroline Crampton, our observations editor, and Nusha Kellyan, our senior writer, George Eaton, political editor, Julia Rampen, news editor, and John Alledge, city metric editor. We've been produced, marshaled, and generally bossed around by our producer, India Bork. It's all been mixed together to sound lovely by James Shield, our other producer, and our music is by the Underschool Orchestra and licensed under Creative Commons. If you liked this, please do leave a review and subscribe to my free morning email, Morning Call.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.